When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Star Wars 7x7 episode 2113. Today, the Hope series continues. It's our penultimate episode as we look at the nature of hope in Solo, a Star Wars story. Punch it! Hey Rebel Riser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So here we are with the other standalone movie, Solo, A Star Wars Story. Now here's the crazy thing, or at least one of the crazy things about this, is that out of all ten movies that I've done in this series so far, this one I actually stopped the least I took the least amount of notes for, I ended up getting sucked into the story and forgot to actually stop it and scribble notes madly here and there and ultimately had to kind of go back and take notes here and there just to, you know, catch the things I needed to catch. So it's partly because I actually got sucked in and partly because the instances of hope are really not as overtly presented. The reason why I say that is because we don't have examples of Cassian or Jin saying rebellions are built on hope or Supreme Leader Snoke saying that while a Jedi lives, then hope lives in the galaxy. There's nothing so overt as that. There are instances of the word hope being thrown around in Solo A Star Wars Story, like I hope you didn't send all your gangsters out for Enfys Nest, right? You know, stuff like that. Instead, it seems like something else is going on, and this was another surprising thing. Solo actually makes me want to go back and re-watch the original trilogy and The Force Awakens because of the way that these scoundrels talk about the concept of luck. I want to take a look back and see how Han and Lando talk about luck in Star Wars and Empire and Jedi and The Force Awakens, and I'm going to be paying attention for it when we talk about The Rise of Skywalker on tomorrow's episode. But it seems to me that luck is being used as a substitute for hope after a fashion. For example, the first time we get any use of the word luck in the movie, it's when Han and Kira are in line at the Imperial shipyard and trying to, you know, get through the gates to be able to catch a ride off planet. And, you know, they're hunkering down, trying not to get noticed by Moloch and his folks. And Han stuffs his dice into Kira's hands. And she says, for luck. And he says, damn right. It seems that this is what scoundrels talk about when they talk about hope, right? It's almost as though hope is too emotionally vulnerable a word for scoundrels to be using amongst themselves. And so luck is a stand-in. It's not a perfect stand-in by any stretch, but at least it you know kind of gets you in the right direction. The next time we get a reference to luck in the movie, it's three years down the road. Han is a mud trooper on Mimbam. He's already been kicked out of the academy and... 
just happens to wind up with Beckett and his crew as Beckett is posing as a captain and his crew is posing as troopers and they're there to hijack an AT hauler for a job, but Han doesn't know that. He just knows that his commanding officer has been killed and Beckett appears to be the ranking officer. So Beckett says, you know, you guys go this way and I'll take this mouthy scooch and go that way and maybe we'll get lucky. To which Rio, which is of course voiced by Jon Favreau of Mandalorian fame, says, luck's got nothing to do with it. And you could easily substitute the notion of hope for the notion of luck in here. Basically, Beckett is saying, I hope this works out. And, you know, Rio is saying hope has nothing to do with it, which, you know, you almost want to hear what he thinks has to do with it. If it's not luck, if it's not hope, then what's it going to be? But we never get that line, but they still managed to succeed. And so, you know, luck was with them. Their hopes were fulfilled and they got to fight another day. So we encounter luck as a substitute for the concept of hope from time to time in the movie. And when it comes to people and something that we've talked about in previous episodes on the spectrum of hopefulness and hopelessness, right? Well, the quality of luck is also assigned to that as well. For example, when Han meets Lando for the first time and he you know, looks at Lando's winnings and says, oh, looks like you're having a good night. And Lando says, I'm a lucky guy, right? It's just, it's the way that he imagines himself. He sees himself in that very positive, optimistic light. He is a very hopeful character. And there's actually no talk about being unlucky or luck not being on one side in this movie, but you can easily imagine how if that had been said, or even just conceptually, just <laughs> thinking about it right now, that that would equate to a hopelessness, right? The notion that forces outside your control are not conspiring to you know, help move you in the direction of your dreams. And so therefore, you know, that would create a hopelessness, a feeling of unluckiness. But even if we're not talking directly about hope or indirectly about luck, I have to tell you, I think there is a case to be made for Han Solo being the most hopeful major character in any of the Star Wars movies, right? The reason why I think this is because nobody tries to bring his dreams into existence more forcefully than Han Solo. From the moment he takes a rock out of his pocket and goes and pretends it's a thermal detonator. I mean, he's called on it by Lady Proxima immediately. She's like, you made that noise with your mouth. No one though is more convinced that this thing is actually a thermal detonator in his hand than Han Solo. Like, I truly believe that he thinks if it isn't, then it might as well be, right? And then later on when he's on Mim Bam and he's trying to get Chewie to go with him and he's like, my very good friends are at that AT hauler. You have to come with me. And then, you know, once we get off this planet, you can go wherever you want, but you have to come with me and join my friends, right? This is his only way off the planet, but he's convinced that these are his good friends and is so convinced of it that he's able to convince Chewie of this fact that, these are his friends and this is where he has to go. Not only that, but the mere fact of Han's insistence in joining Beckett's crew and saying, you know, I'm a pilot, I'm you know, a flyer, I do all this great stuff. Like the force of his will and of his desire and of his belief in himself and where he needs to be 
Uh, it's just, it's amazing to watch. And he, he manages to get Beckett to land the AT hauler back down and pick up Han and Chewie. And when things look dire, when they get to Kessel and they don't know how they're going to be able to pull this job off, well, that's when Kira puts the dice in Han's hand. And what a lovely callback this is because she's held on to it for all this time. That certainly gives Han the hope and courage that he needs to be able to continue on in this scenario and just additional fortitude for the work that needs to be done. Although I have to say that the the task of talking about hope when talking about Kessel, I wish I had some answers on this one because I feel like I don't. I feel like this goes beyond what you know I've talked about in the realm of hope. You have slaves on Kessel who have no hope whatsoever. I mean, they are being worked to death, quite literally, and have no recourse in the matter whatsoever. So, you know, what hope is there for these poor people, the poor Wookiees that are there, right? And speaking of Kessel, we're gonna have to talk about what is probably the most hopeless scene in all of the Star Wars movies, which is the slaves on Kessel, right? So we don't learn a lot about them, but we can make some you know, pretty fair assumptions that they are just being worked to death under the worst possible conditions. They're not getting paid. They're probably getting just enough food to survive. They're probably not getting medical treatment of any kind. Nothing. It is just the abject worst possible scenario for all of these people. But it's like Vice Admiral Holdo was saying in The Last Jedi and what Poe Dameron was later saying. You just need a spark, right? You just need a spark that'll light the fire. And L3 gives that to the droids and the droids in turn give that to all of the slaves. And I don't think, you know, in all honesty, a lot of the slaves could have, you know, had those colors pop off and think to themselves that, there was going to be an opportunity for them to escape Kessel and that they could get out of there and change their lives. I think it's more a situation where just, you know, the headiness of freedom is so overwhelming that, you know, the most they could hope for is to cause as much chaos and destruction as possible under the circumstances. I do think that the Wookiees were certainly able to you know, think a little further ahead and try to organize some kind of escape, but really it seemed like mayhem was all that was left for anybody who was working there as a slave. And, you know, certainly that relates back to even something that Lando said at the Battle of Endor when he told... Admiral Akbar to take all the ships closer to the Star Destroyers, and he said, and we might just take some of them with us. But back to the notion of Han arguably being the most hopeful character in the movies, I feel like that hopefulness is part of his thinking when he decides to side with Enfys Nest at the end of the movie. He has no love for the Empire, of course, but really he has no love for bullies, and Crimson Dawn certainly fits that description as well. For all intents and purposes, I don't think he sees much of a difference between the two other than, you know, one purports to be, you know, a law and order situation, but is really abusing their power. And he has seen that firsthand. And 
Crimson Dawn is basically just a bigger and more organized version of what he put up with with Lady Proxima. And maybe, just maybe, instinctively, intuitively, he realizes that what Emphis Nest is actually about is not just being a marauder and stealing things from crime syndicates and whatnot, but that she actually has bigger, broader, more altruistic motives in mind. More hopeful motives, if you will. Despite the fact that he had, obviously, an encounter that didn't go well with Enfys Nest back on Vandor 1, which certainly led to the loss of Val, Beckett's wife, so obviously there's a tragic component to this, but he certainly senses something about Enfys, I think, that ultimately leads him to you know, side with her, and I think it's because, as Kira says, you know, I know something that nobody else knows, that you're really the good guy, and that's where he's operating from. And that is where we're going to leave things with our discussion about hope as it's manifested in Solo, A Star Wars Story, and that is going to do it for our episode as well. Thank you so much for joining me for this one, and as always, may the curve be flattening for you wherever in the world you may be. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other related Star Wars items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2019 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.